You are listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe. Welcome along to episode 28 of House of Football with Sports Show. I am Eric Lawler. Another weekend of Premier League action has come and gone. Wolves broke Manchester City hearts, VAR broke Liverpool hearts, and Manchester United look more broken than ever. <laughs> but now, on to the episode. I'm thrilled and delighted and honoured to announce that my uh, guest today is legendary comedian, actor and author, Mr. Ardell O'Hanlon. Ardell, it's so great to have you in. How are you? Eric, it's great to be here. <laughs> Any excuse to talk football. Oh, yes. and With we, the experts. We, well, I don't know about that, but we've. I, 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 one of the things I, I always remember um, us doing a few gigs up north, way back, it was... Actually, do you know why I remember this, Ardell? We, Me and you did a gig up in Armagh, and you picked me up in Bally One one day, mm. and it was the day Jerry Ryan died. That always mm. sticks in my head. And I remember the journey going up at you and the journey back and all we did was talk about football. <laughs> and I went, you know who I'd love to get on this podcast? Ardle O'Hanlon. So, so this yeah, is why you're yeah. here, Ardle. Um, oh, that's great. So Ardle, uh, you know, uh, fans have disposed of the podcast where I used to us bringing on ex-players and internationals and all that and they'd be like, what's Ardle O'Hanlon? But Ardle, you were I a was football. a player. You were a player as well. You played for Orwell FC. I did, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> back but in the day. Before that, I played on the street and carried them across in my hometown. We had these epic games. Oh, really? Yeah, it was just like, that's all we did. I'm sure it was the same with yeah, yourself, yeah. like from morning to night, literally like yeah. eight hour long games, <laughs> you know, 44, 27, like. And we're like, like 20 aside. 20 aside. <laughs> so, so on my little street, Mullinari in Carrick Macross, you had, there was warehouses on one side of the road and then there was a pig farm right next to us. So one goals was the gate of the pig farm and the other goals was, was about four times bigger. It was the huge big warehouse doors. <laughs> Uh, so so it was just great though like and yeah 20 aside playing with the neighbours like Donnelly's on one side Conlon's on the other you know Brilliant memories Yeah yeah, yeah Fantastic yeah. I suppose that's the, when you look at the modern footballer these yeah. days are like coached within an inch of their life and, and people yearn for the days of the street footballer Yeah if but, you will. And, and you were playing in your shoes as well yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so like you had to you know like by the time you got runners or football boots you know that was you were like you were good. Your technique was good yeah. in, in your George yeah. Webbs or your Doc yeah. Martens or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Ardell, obviously as well, one of your, 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 your favourite, uh, your, 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 your team is Leeds United. Yes. Um, and can you tell us a little bit how that came about? Or, um, Well, I suppose like when you're seven mm-hmm. is when you, I suppose, fall in love with a football yeah. team or, or, or you, you know, you're forced to choose eventually. Uh, and I think it was a combination of factors. Number one, it was some of the people on my street were Leeds fans, some of the bigger, better footballers. So, so the ones you look up to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose the main reason Leeds were really good at the time, like they'd won the uh, league in 74, they won the cup in 72. Um, I suppose 72 was probably my earliest memory of a proper football match. Mm-hmm. Um and then it was that the, great Don Revy team, wasn't it? Was it was the great Don Revy yeah. team, and I suppose the main reason was Giles. Like, was probably like he was the best player in the world, as far as I was concerned at yeah. that time. And even now, looking back, I still can't think of many better players than him. Yeah. Like, he literally had everything. And Did he, you pretend to be Johnny Giles when you were a kid? I, I no, I was more flamboyant <laughs> okay, than Giles like... uh, and less effective. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, he was just brilliant. He was the metronome of that Leeds team, and he he was two footed. He was tigerish in the tackle. Yeah, great singing voice as well. Really, which yeah, is not hugely relevant. <laughs> okay, but, <laughs> yeah, no, but I'm interested to find out. Uh, you know that. He was fantastic crooner. Yeah, um, <laughs> one of my happiest memories was like so that '72 team. So 30 years later, 2002, there was an event in City West Hotel in Dublin. 
uh, celebrating that team and a few of the players who came before and after. So literally every player from that mid-70s team was there, apart from Bremner, who had died, and Revy, the manager, who had also died. But everyone else was there, Charlton, Hunter, Clark, Reaney, Medley. Wow. So that amazing team from the from the 70s. So I say Barry Murphy was there, which it was... Barry even. Murphy was there, yeah, yeah. We all did little speeches and, oh, and little tributes, and then there was a sing-song afterwards. That's how I know Giles is a great Brilliant. singer. Um, but then to meet them all, and they were all so wonderful and humble, for, like, because at the time they had a reputation for being really arrogant. And... Um, uh, but they weren't like that at all. They were just fantastic, humble, down-to-earth people. They all lived with it near the training ground. They used to get the bus to, to matches, to training. Giles, in his autobiography, talks about the first time he played for Ireland. He got a bus in from the airport to, to uh, the Gresham, and he met the players for the first time ever at dinner in the Gresham, wow. and then they went out to Daily Mount to play a match. That's amazing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, so it's just different. But anyway, uh, yeah, so I fell in love with Leeds for that reason. There was also another reason, which is kind of, <laughs> I mean, my father was a Man United fan. And um, so I suppose... Was it a, a little rebellious thing getting very thing confessional now, yeah. It was a bit of rebellion going on there as well. So there's loads of reasons. I mean, it's very hard to pinpoint one reason, but... Um, that's exact. Conversely, that's the exact same reason I follow Manchester United. My dad's a big Leeds fan. Oh, really? So when I got to the age of five or six, um, you're watching TV and you're looking at the successful teams. And the reason Manchester United were successful at the time, Ireland, was because they'd been relegated, and they're in what's known as the Championship now, but was Division Two back in the yeah, day. Yeah. And they were walking away with the Championship. We're like, oh, look, they're a great team. And I knew my dad had a particular dislike to them. Yeah. So uh, I said, no, Manchester United are my team and that's the way it's ever been ever yeah. since. So there we go, there's a little parallel there for us, Ardell. Yeah. There might be one later on, I'll tell you about it in a, in a little while. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it's, it's a tortured uh, vocation, I suppose, being a Leeds fan. Yeah, it's been, it's been, uh, it's always been tortured. I mean, Leeds fans, like, notoriously uh, feel like they've, they've been robbed. Over, over the years like I mean 73 against Sunderland <laughs> sorry yes. we're going really way yeah, back yeah, in go time for it, go for apologies it. to yeah. younger this listeners this is therapy session as well uh, <laughs> so I mean the most notable I suppose blatant robbery was the 1975 European Cup final you know Leeds were in it playing Bayern Munich um, in Paris wasn't it in Paris yeah. yeah yeah. the Leeds fans did disgrace themselves slightly by ripping up the seats and everything else but there was a good reason for it <laughs> I mean you know uh, and I think it has been it has been sort of, it has come to light in later years that uh, the officials had been bought. Wow. You know, so, and, and Leeds, were, Leeds were really good. That was their best chance to do it, you know, on the biggest stage in Europe. And they never quite got there. That was their zenith at the time. That was their zenith. So, yeah. and then I, I moved to London in sort of mid-90s, 1990s, 94. So the first time I saw Leeds live was uh, just after the Howard Wilkinson Okay. So they won the league miraculously in 1992, which is still with a really down. rubbish team. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Lee Chapman and, and the boys. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, Wilkinson had got them playing for each other and um, they had the little X factor with Cantona yeah. uh, towards the end of the season. Um, and they had an amazing midfield. Mm-hmm. So they had McAllister, who was an incredible player, Gary Speed, Batty, and Strachan. I mean, Strachan. it's still to this day, I think it's one of the best balanced midfields. Yeah, I've ever seen four brilliant players. Four yeah. brilliant players who, who, all, who all brought something very different to it. Uh, like McAllister, totally underrated yeah. player, amazing player. And you went on to do great things at Liverpool then as he well. He did, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he was just—he's uh, just a super player. Yeah, I, I mean, he's just wonderful. Um, 
So, do you remember the first match you saw them playing live? Yeah, I do actually. It was away to QPR, so it was oh, Loftus, Loftus Road. Road. <laughs> yeah, so that was so I, I had this ambition as soon as I went to London. I'm going to go and visit all the grounds in Britain. I mean, this was always a childhood. Yeah, ambition. yeah. Uh, so I got a, a, around to as many of them as possible, particularly the London ones, I suppose. Uh, so yeah, away to QPR. QPR fans were very upset at the time with their management and with their board. So they had a big protest at half time, and the police came on on horseback to clear that. So that was my first ever sort of, I suppose, Premier. That was Premier League match. Welcome to the Premier League. Horses yeah. on the pitch at halftime. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, but I used to carry a little piece of Ellen Road turf around with me. So somebody like, you know, some older person who'd been to Leeds had brought back a little bit of turf for me. And uh, so How did I, you get that? He, he was on the pitch after and he just he just <laughs> dug it up. Because I know Barcelona hands. are doing that at the moment. Uh, oh, yeah. they're, they're, like, because the, the stadium's getting renovated, they cut yeah. up the pitch and they're selling them in little boxes to their fans. And mm. They're obviously mm. making a lot of money because obviously they do, do need the money. Yeah. So I just thought it was But your bows were doing that with bulbs from their... Um, from, the, from the lights, yeah. The lights, and, yeah. The, and the old seats from the old stand as well, yeah. Ah, listen, bows. Bows, you know, uh, we've enough money now, so no more uh, warm-up <laughs> gigs for them anymore, are we? we, we, we no. We're fed up saving League of Ireland clubs. No. We saved Dundalk, we saved Bows. Yeah. Uh, You've saved any, the League of Ireland we, single-handedly, <laughs> Many times we've saved the League of Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just on the League of Ireland, Ardle, um, I remember in in, ta- in passing talking to you before, um, I, rem- I think you said to me you've been down to Dalyment a few times to, yeah. to, to watch Bows. And I often wondered what the connection was for you. But then obviously it came from your college days, was it? And when you were in... Even DCU earlier, and even AHG. earlier. And again, I would say it was the same reason why I sort of leaned towards Leeds. It was like uh, Bows were a really big team, 72, 73, yeah, 74. Yeah. I remember Turtle O'Connor. Oh, yeah, Turtle, uh, a legend. And there was just something about Daily Mount. You know, like I used to, from a very early age, 12, 13, I used to hitch from Carrick Cross to Daily Mount for pre-season matches. So, so the big teams like Liverpool oh, so yeah, and Tottenham yes, of course. And They were the only times we'd ever get to see them. The only time you'd ever get to see them. So I remember like Liverpool playing a League of Ireland selection there. And I remember Tottenham playing, I don't know who Tottenham played, but they played someone with Hoddle and Ardealas and all these guys. So, so this was your only chance to see them. So as a little wide-eyed football fanatic, uh, I used to hitch from, from, from Carrick to Dublin. And uh, go go to, go to Daily Mount. So I always liked Daily Mount. Bows were a big team at the time. So I kind of, I always had a soft spot for Bows. And, and and then when I did live in Dublin, I used to go there the odd time. And then later on, in a little sort of a, a, a you know, you know, I can't pretend to be a, a League of Ireland, um, you know, fan. I don't go that often. So to my shame, okay, I admit that's I admit okay. That that's this okay. This is very confessional. You're a busy man. This is very confessional. Here. <laughs> uh, but so I did this. Show Father Ted, which 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 I'm sure you've heard of, and um, <laughs> w- one of the ele- electricians on the um, on the crew was Derek Swan. No way! Yeah, so Derek was one of the electricians, and I was very friendly with Derek, and uh, he was playing for Bose at the time. Yeah, he's like one of our legendary strikers. Yeah, yeah he was his brilliant. Day. <laughs> so, and his dad Tony Swan was the gaffer on on this particular crew, who I think. He certainly played for Drogheda United. I'm not sure if he ever played for Bowes. Okay. But he was a goalie. Right. Um, so anyway, so I used to go and see Derek playing there as well. Ah, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Because he used to do this little thing for Bowes as well. It was this YouTube thing they ran during uh, COVID where I'd interview ex-players and we had Derek on as one of the guests. Yeah. Because, and his son went on to play for Bowes then oh, as well. Right, yeah. And he, he's playing up in Northern Ireland now in the Irish League up there with Dungan and Swifts or something like that. Yeah. But uh, yeah, great character, Derek. Um 
so that's 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 a connection with the League of Ireland. Uh, do you, do you, like, I mean, I know you say you, you can't call yourself a fan, but you, you obviously went to Daily Mount, you've seen Bowes. Do you, is it like, do you check the results and all that? Would you, uh, would I you keep watch an eye on things. Like, so I have a very good friend who's a Shelburne fan, so I used to go with him a lot to see Shells. I mean, I always love it. It's always yeah. a great... It's always a great occasion, but I, you know, I just, I'm just not a regular match goer. Yeah. Uh, I don't even go to that many Leeds matches anymore, or, or that many Premier Premiership matches. You know, uh, um, just I'm at that age now where I prefer to sit down in front of the TV and <laughs> a bit of comfort. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I still go and see Ireland. Uh, last match I went to see was Ireland Gibraltar. Ah, I was there as well. Yeah. Worst match I've ever seen in my life. I but, know. but a win's a win, Bartle. Yeah, we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, we will. We will. Um, yeah, so you're obviously a big Irish fan. Sorry, before we before we leave that, you, you played for or what position did you play in Ireland? Do you mind? So, uh, well, I mean. My my narrative is probably different from <laughs> all the people I played with, uh, but I played in the hole. Oh, of course, uh, yeah, of course, yeah. You know, uh, you were just creative flair, flair genius. Yeah, but just you know, nothing ever really changed from my childhood. Like I, 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 I felt I could do plenty of things with the ball, but you know, in the United Churches League, you didn't have the room <laughs> to express yourself. You didn't have the space at the time <laughs> that I I needed. Um, but uh, no, I, I, I loved, uh, like, so, you know, at college, I never, to my lasting regret, I didn't play properly. So I never really played for a proper team. At school, I played a bit, uh, always played street football, always played five aside, always did, you know, always played every day, but I never played at a proper level. Oh, yeah. So, um, and, you know, lots of people would think the United Churches League was not a proper level. But, you know, for me, there was goals, real goals. And there it was, was organised football. Was marked, yeah, 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 and there was exactly. a referee. referee and there was an opposition yeah. uh, with moustaches and beer bellies <laughs> who wanted to kill you. So, uh, you know, it felt real. So I, so I did that after I left college and I was living in actually just down the road from here where we are today. And uh, myself and my friend, we signed up for Orwell and we played every Saturday. Uh, and it was just brilliant to do that for a year or two, for two or three years. Just to, is, that, is that how long it lasted? Three years or so? Yeah, because then I moved to London. Oh, OK. So did this, you, did this, you play this was the early days of comedy in Dublin. So when, when, when I was doing the Comedy Centre in the International Bar um, for that few years, sort of early 20s. And then um, just, yeah, it was just a box ticked, I suppose. It was to do it, to see, you know, because like... You can shine in certain contexts when you're when you're playing football yeah. and you think you're great, yeah. and then you know the harsh reality sets <laughs> in when you're actually playing against fellas who it means an awful lot to. Oh, I know, uh, but it's great and it's a good test, and and I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, Loved did you did you did you play in those cat laps matches? Yeah, I used to. I played in the very first one. Yeah, scored a hat trick. Did you really? Mm-hmm. I missed that one. Yeah, uh, I, I was a bit late to the party. I have no there. evidence. <laughs> I actually, do you know what I scored? Tommy Tiernan said it's the greatest goal he's ever saw at the oh. Catalafs. I scored a goal like that one time and somebody caught it on the camera phone. And I don't know, I, I have lost a copy, but I'm I'm going to put out an Instagram post. Whoever has that footage, please show it because I'd like to dine out on that again. It was, it was I mean, I look back at it and go, my God, Eric, that was I know, but isn't it amazing, Eric, that, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like these are the things, these are the things you cling to. Yeah, I know. As you get older. Yeah. Like, the, I, I, I promise I scored a brilliant goal <laughs> in, a, in a meaningless match in Kilkenny 15 years ago. <laughs> With a lot of hungover comedians. Yeah, yeah. please validate me. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, so uh, so you, you, mentioned, you mentioned you're a big fan of, of Ireland, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, being an, an Irish football fan. Um, your thoughts on the, the, the current team and particularly Stephen Kenny and what he's trying to do yeah. and the situation he's I in at the moment. I was really hoping you wouldn't ask me that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do I have to commit? Um, 
Well, I mean, I love the team. I always love the Ireland team. Uh, I'm really, like, I'm really impressed by the Irish fans generally, how tolerant they are of the current regime, uh, how realistic they are. They're not giving Stephen Kenny a hard time, particularly. You know, you go to the matches, they're, you know, they're just being realistic. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we all know this is not the best Irish team in history. Um, we all know that they're playing out of their skins. They're they're doing everything possible to get results. So, you know, I applaud that. I admire that. I love them. I love them and I wish them well. I, you know, I think Stephen Kenny is an idealist and that's not necessarily what we need. I think his intentions are brilliant. Um, he's got a philosophy, a way of playing football that is to be admired. Uh but is he experienced enough as a manager to manage an international team, you know, trying to qualify for major tournaments? Like, this is serious stuff. Uh, and as Irish fans, like, while, yes, we want to see the, the team being ambitious and trying to play an expansive type of football, you know, we also want to qualify for tournaments. Yeah, you know, and... Um, a bit so, more pragmatism, maybe. <laughs> a bit more pragmatism here and there. Like, like the playing out from the back thing, you know, with... with you know, they are brilliant players. I mean, Nathan Collins is an incredible player. Yeah, yeah. And he's well able to play out of the back. And in three or four years' time, he'll be one of the, you know, stars of the Premier League. You've no doubt. But it's a big ask, yeah. you know, for players to be playing out of the back against really great sides, mm. you know. And, and then getting exposed, as we have been numerous occasions. Yeah. Incidentally, um, little, 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 little footnote. I have to just mention it. So uh, my son played for this team, Beechwood. Okay. Uh, I used to coach them. Beachwood, yeah, I, I came across them a couple of times. They're in the Beerstown area, kind of uh, area. Yeah, Ranelagh kind of, yeah, okay. um, uh, Ranelagh Rap area. Ne- homeless though, never had a never had their own ground, so we're always kind okay. of uh, nomad nomadic. Uh, but it was a, a beautiful setup, and uh, my son played with them since the age of five. Like, and uh, so I coached for a few years. Uh, most thankless job I've ever done in my life. No authority whatsoever. Was, was it a schoolboy team you were coaching, yeah? Uh, yeah, it was yeah. under sevens, under okay, eights, yeah. under nines. Cool. Uh, a bunch of dads, we did the we did the kind of kickstart coaching thing. Brilliant. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and our our uh, tutor was David Collins, who's Nathan Collins' dad. Wow. So, right, who, yeah. who played for Liverpool for a long yeah, time. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, um, I think he was captain of the Reserves for a long time, Liverpool. Lovely guy, David, and brilliant, brilliant man. He also was a sort of a executive coach of Beechwood for a while. Okay. Yeah, so he'd come in once once a month, or one, our, our team would get him once a month. And once or twice, when David wasn't available, Nathan would come. No way. Yes. Wow. And he was on the on the upward trajectory coming through the system. Well, he was point. only he was only fifteen or sixteen yeah, at the time. But he would have been playing probably schoolboy international football at that probably stage. Probably was at yeah. that time. I didn't yeah. know. I yeah, didn't really okay. know. We just knew that that was David's son. <laughs> so just a little, yeah, tiny little connection. You weren't thinking there's a future Premier League footballer. No, 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 no. I had no idea. <laughs> nice. Um, sticking with the Irish team, uh, uh, Ardle, Obviously, we we we've done our research. I've done my research on you uh, just to get some tasty questions, and I read somewhere that. Um, you proposed to your lovely wife Melanie just before an Irish World Cup match. Yeah, can you tell us what World Cup match this uh, was and I when? I can and tell you that. Yes, so uh, it was 1994. It was World Cup in the USA. It was just before the Ireland Italy match. Um, so I was living in London at the time. Uh, my wife was my my then girlfriend was still living in Dublin. 
and I'd come home I was coming home to watch the matches in Ireland uh, was that a, you purposely said I'm going home to watch the matches absolutely yeah, yeah. okay yeah yeah so um, so she was picking me up from the airport the morning of the Ireland Italy match and I had sort of in, in my head I was going to propose to her after the match uh, I thought it'd be because we were going to watch it with a big bunch of our oldest friends and I thought it'd be a really nice place to do it uh, in our friend's house and um, but I got overexcited um, <laughs> because of the occasion that was in it and we were coming down through Drumcondra from the from Dublin airport into town and I think it was outside Toulon Travel I seem to remember or that's what she remembers anyway Toulon you proposed travel, yeah. to me outside Toulon Travel you all romantic I just blurted it out <laughs> Well, that's you had a similar stuff. I do. This is the thing. I, I wanted to find out exactly the match, Ardell, because it's bizarre. Because I proposed to my wife on the same day. Wow. Um, but it was after the match. Um, and again, it was so you're me. a man of great restraint. <laughs> no, I think I was just I was blown away by the euphoria of the game. Yeah. And and I used to do a little piece of me stand up saying, you know, you know, anyone I, I would have asked in the immediate aftermath of that match would have said yes if I'd asked him to marry me, you know, but thankfully she was the first person yeah. I asked, you know. But uh, it's just so strange that um, uh, it, we both proposed to our wives on the same day. Yeah. That's, that's bizarre. And, and it's around football. And, 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 and in fact, I mean, you know, I, I'd, like to, I'd like to stress to you, Eric, that I am a well-rounded individual. You really like, would, I'm yeah. interested in, in books and art and architecture and all sorts of... I have a wide range of interests, but... You know, our honeymoon did also revolve around football. <laughs> oh, wow. I'll tell you something as well. So uh, we went to Barcelona. So another. No way. I went to Barcelona. Ah, you're joking. I swear to God. And Jason Bourne and his wife came on the honeymoon with us. Jesus. They were at my wedding, right? And Jason says to me, where's your honeymoon? And I says, we're going to Barcelona tomorrow. And he goes, no way. And I says, what? He says, I'm flying to Madrid tomorrow to do a gig. But the night after that, I'm doing a gig in Barcelona. And I went, no way. And myself and the missus and his were good friends. And they flew out. And well, no, Brenda, of course, rang my voice and I can't believe he's after inviting us onto your honeymoon. And, and we were like, it's grand. We've been engaged 15 years. We've run out of things to talk about this stage, you know. We were not engaged for 15 years, but we were together for 15 years. Okay. Before we went as well. And, and also, our best friends came with us on our honeymoon. <laughs> Is there anybody cast a sitcom out there with priests in it? Because I'm ready. <laughs> but come here. The, we went to see, we were over there in, uh, in Barcelona and we, myself and Jason, because the, the wives were, were together, they didn't mind. They went off shopping and went yeah, drinking yeah. wine and whatever. And myself and Jason got tickets for El Clasico, Barca and Real Madrid oh, in the new Camp. And it was one of the most... Yeah, yeah. We went to see Barcelona Espanol. So. Oh, the local, yeah, the local was, Barcelona it was, it was, derby. It was, yeah. it, was, it was just amazing. Did you bring was, Melanie with you? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in fact, that was a really good move on my part. Because she wasn't a mad football fan, but she was really interested in the whole spectacle of it all. So, so anytime we went on holidays, then anywhere, you know, I, I could always, I could always say, you know, hey, hey we're in Rome. Do you fancy going to the Stadio Olimpico? <laughs> we're just yeah, reliving yeah, the honeymoon. Sure, yeah, because she really loved the whole occasion and everything. And um, mind you, I did bring her to a Celtic Rangers match once, oh. <laughs> and we couldn't get tickets together. <laughs> oh wow! So she was sitting a few rows back. And, I thought you were going to say she was sat in the Rangers end. Yeah, no, no, but uh, <laughs> uh, she, she, I think. She, she wasn't in a hurry to go to football matches after that. But um, uh, no, it was just brilliant because that was another big, like, I loved Barcelona as a kid as well. Uh, I, I was mad about Cruyff. Cruyff was my first ever hero. Yeah. Um, had a shoot annual in 1974 and I think he was on the cover of it in a Barcelona strip 
and since then, like I just the romance of it, the the idea of Barcelona, I just loved. The f- I, I was I was a now romantic about Barcelona for many years, and I don't know what's changed though. I think over the last few years, Ireland kind of I've taken a I don't know if it's a dislike is towards them. It's just the way the club is run, and yeah, the, I, and, and and almost kind of siding with Real Madrid now at this stage which is bizarre because they hated Real Madrid back in the yeah. day and now I'm kind of going ah oh, no actually you know what they're not the bad guys here it's Barcelona who are the bad guys um, yeah but. yeah it's just, uh, no, I'm still a, I'm still a, a Barcelona fan and member <laughs> <laughs> a member of the club but uh, so I'm part of the problem um, <laughs> but yeah no it is it is really really disappointing what they've done the financial engineering and the yeah, exactly. corruption and everything it's well, speaking of uh, of rivalries Ardle um one of the greatest gigs, and I'm still jealous to the, to the back teeth that you got this gig back in 2006. You got oh, yeah. you did a show called Leagues Apart. That's right, Billy McGrath. Yeah. Um, going around Europe to amazing cities to look at the big football yeah. rivalries out there. Yeah. Just can you talk to us a little bit about that earlier memories of it and which one of those matches really yeah. uh, stood out for you? Well, it was like the whole thing was a labour of love, and again, it was a childhood ambition. So, like you know. You know, when when Billy McGrath came to me and said, "Have you got any ideas for for a show?" and and I went, "Well, this this is the show I've wanted to make since I was a child. Uh, I wanted to to you know because I love travel uh, and I love football and I love culture and I always thought like that. You know, saying I love culture is such a stupid thing, but I love like you know all, all you know all the things that make up." A culture, you know, so you, you, so and I always think football is a great window in, into the soul of a nation. Yeah. And it's just a great, it's a great door opener, you know, conversations about football, especially for men. You yeah. Know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so while, yes, so this show is about football, it's about football rivalries, but it's also about like, you know, the, I suppose, the fault lines in a society. Like, what, what makes you pick one team or the other, you know, when you go to a place? Uh, so you learn a lot about the history of the country, um, you know, uh, and, and, and you know, just what makes a country tick. And, uh, so we went to, so the big ones were obviously Real Madrid, Barcelona, which is not a strictly a city rivalry, but it's, you know, there's a, there's a big political story yeah. there. Um, we went to Rome, uh, Lazio, Roma, which was great. We went to Holland, which again was a city, you know, it was, it was fine order of Rotterdam and Ajax of Amsterdam, which again tells you an awful lot about that country, you know, the cosmopolitan Amsterdam and the kind of more, you know, salt of the earth yeah. port city of, of, of Rotterdam. Uh, and then where did we go? We went, to, then we did a few more of the obscure ones in, in, in Athens. There's a fantastic one, Panathinaikos and Olympiakos. And then we did Istanbul, which was always one I wanted to go wow, to, Galatasaray yeah. and Fenerbahce. Uh, and then we did one, a little, a, a very kind of obscure one uh, in Krakow, in Poland. Wisła, uh, Viz- Viz- I can never really pronounce yeah. it. Wisła, Krakow and Krakowia. Okay, so that so, was the, the Krakow derby. The Krakow derby, yeah. So that was amazing. Um, so they were, all, they were all absolutely amazing for different reasons. I think that's where Pope John Paul II was born. Yeah, it was. And he was associated with the Krakowia Club in oh, some way. Whether he was on their books as a kid or not, as a goalie, I do not he know. He was a goalkeeper, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a goalkeeper. And he was supposed to be quite good. He was a good sportsman. He was a skier as well, I think. But uh, not a good Pope, though. <laughs> <laughs> so many saves and crosses, puns I could stick in there. <laughs> but, uh, but we won't go there. Um, so, uh, 
but is, is there is, which one of those Ireland do you mind me asking was, was, was your the I one suppose that really the Barcelona kind of, one was okay. because that's the one I was so I suppose uh, invested in emotionally and personally because of the Cruyff thing and all that and Cruyff thing everything uh, everything about it was amazing it was also like a brilliant Barcelona team playing a brilliant Madrid team so it was a really good game to go to apart from anything else um, was it the year of the Galacticos maybe it was yeah yeah, yeah it was uh um, Ronaldinho, Deco, uh, Etu. Ah, oh, yeah. What I remember team. Etu. I remember we were at the training ground like just a few days before it, and Etu was in his Hummer going in a, along in a Hummer. In a Hummer. So he drove into the into training in a Hummer. He could have brought the and whole team with him. He could have, yeah. <laughs> but he couldn't. Like what was really funny was like this really cool player in this really cool car, but because it's a Hummer, he couldn't actually turn into the, <laughs> into the car underground park car park. So it was like about a seven point turn. <laughs> so it was really embarrassing. <laughs> I love that. Um, is there any, did you get to meet any of the, any big stars during that series? Um, well, in the Olympiacos one, so that's, I met, uh, I met what you call him, Rivaldo. So he Rivaldo. was playing for Olympiacos. So this is four years after his magnificent triumph at the 2002 World Cup, where he was probably player of the tournament. Yeah, easily. And, uh, so and and there's a little sort of a little bit of a a, a a preamble to this. So in 2002, I went away to see Ireland play Lisbon uh, to play Portugal in Lisbon. Yeah, sorry, I'm jet lagged. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was an amazing occasion for so many different reasons. But the first reason was I arrived. So I flew from London to Lisbon. I arrive at the airport and I join a queue, uh, the taxi queue, and standing right beside me is Rivaldo. That's no word of a lie. Okay. And, and so, then you, like, you realise this and you're like, oh my God. Oh, immediately. Like, I mean, he's yeah. unmistakable. Yeah, like, I mean, he was, he's one of the most iconic people in the world, never mind yeah. footballers. So he's standing there, he's, he's holding a baby in his arms. I presume it's his own baby. <laughs> uh, his baby girl uh, drops her blanket on the ground. I pick it up. I pick up Rivaldo's daughter's blanket. <laughs> what a man. And I idol. say, there you go, Rivaldo. <laughs> She dropped that <laughs> and he kind of smiles at me and whatever else. And I'm going, yeah, me and Rivaldo, we're mates for life now. So I'm so thrilled. I mean, this, this, is, this exceeds your wildest dreams. Like, first of all, I'm, a, I'm going to Lisbon to see Ireland play. I'm going to meet my friends who are coming from Dublin. It's going to be a brilliant weekend. It was already shaping up to be the best weekend <laughs> ever because I met Rivaldo. So then four years later, I'm doing this. Uh, so we spend this great week in Athens finding out all about Greek history, like the whole history of Olympiakos is amazing. Like, like, so Olympiakos is a port, is a port city in Athens. Uh, sorry. Uh, um, Greece. In, in Greece. <laughs> it's okay, Ireland. Yeah. Jet lagged. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, Piraeus is the, is the, is the kind of the little suburb of Athens where, yeah. where Olympiakos are based. And the reason why Olympiakos came into being in the 20s was after World War I, uh, the Ottoman Empire collapses there's a huge Greek minority who've been living for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, in Turkey. They're all expelled from Turkey, haven't known nowhere else, haven't lived there for hundreds and hundreds of years. And they all move to this port city of, of Piraeus. And they form social clubs and sports clubs, basketball and everything else, and a, and a football club, Olympiakos. So that, that's the history. That's the origins of Olympiakos. incredible. Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's, a, it's the Greek it's the Greek diaspora coming home to Greece in the early twenties. Oh, okay. So, like, it's an—it's just I knew nothing about this. Yeah. So you're learning all this as you're going along, and we always didn't want to speak to footballers. We always wanted to speak to writers and musicians, and you know, get, yeah. you know, and comedians. I would always go and speak to the local comedian okay. wherever, wherever we were as well, because uh, they often have a very good take on things. You know, 
Um, but anyway, so we're in the training ground in Olympiacos and I see Rivaldo jogging around the pitch on his own. So I run over to him with the camera and everything and I go, hey, Rivaldo, remember me? <laughs> I, I, I gave you uh, your daughter's blanket back to you. And he's just looking at me going, you know, get him away, get him away from Who's me. Who's this madman? <laughs> Ah, oh, that's brilliant. Imagine, yeah. imagine you actually did. Rem- I do remember, do. Yeah. I'll never forget yeah. you. I've always yeah. wanted to meet you again. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. In fact, I owe you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For that actually. gesture. <laughs> actually, we're going to give you the number 15 jersey. You're on the bench tonight. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, just, you, you mentioned, you just just back from, uh, was it uh, America, Canada? You were, you yeah, were, you I were did doing a some gigs? tiny little tour of, of, of the US and Canada. Yeah. So it was Vancouver, Minneapolis, Chicago, and then Toronto. <laughs> it's, 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 do you know what? Uh, the last time I saw you doing a gig, uh, Ardle, was in the Ivy Gardens at that glorious comedy uh-huh. festival. Um, uh, it was last year. And, you know, I've seen you so many times over the years. But I think now, I don't know what it is, I see you now on stage and I think it's the best version I've ever seen of you. Wow. Thank um, you. Glad there's a real, I don't know, no, I'm not saying you were uncomfortable on stage, but there's a real comfort it seems in your demeanour when you're on stage, it looks like you're enjoying it. You look confident. Uh, the jokes are sharp and witty. You respond if something happens. Mm. And I'm just, I was looking at you going, do you see this at the peak of his powers? Do, do you feel anything different in, oh, in well, the last while? Or? Um, yeah, well, I mean, I'm, 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 thank you very much. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I definitely, definitely did, did, feel there was a gear change over the last few years for yeah. sure like you know I, I've been doing stand-up since I was in my early 20s and you know I, I like some sometimes it's been I suppose more satisfying than others you know there's been times where you're happier with your show yeah. your material or just your general confidence or whatever it is but I in, in recent years I just had definitely got a new lease of life and I think it was partly it's partly to do with aging and just I suppose not caring as much what people think and I suppose not trying to be, just not trying to please everyone yeah. or whatever, please yourself first and foremost. But also, I think it was it was definitely COVID as well. It was that whole period, the reset, the reset, yeah, yeah. like the reset. It was like life is short and life is fragile, and you know it's delicate, and you know you got to make the most of it. And again, it's 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 part of aging as well. Is like you, you know I don't know how long more I'm going to be doing this for. You know, will I have the energy for it in five or ten years time? So. You know, make the most of every show. And I think the key thing is being really present, you know. And I think, like, I always take inspiration from footballers and and from sports psychology and all that as well. So it's very much being in the moment, being present. Uh, So being alive to anything that happens in the room, you know. I read, I I heard heard an interview you did before about some tennis book. Was it a tennis book or something? Yeah, yeah. Where you got a lot of inspiration from. Yeah, I can't remember the name of it, but the tennis book is Zen or something. Yeah. It's brilliant because I play coach. tennis now because since I stopped playing football I, I took up tennis and and it's definitely improved my life in lots of ways but really? one of them was it is that like just being in the moment thing you know you, if you have a bad shot or whatever you just you, you, you have to leave that park immediately and, and stay in the moment for the next shot. I suppose you could, yeah, you could attribute that to on stage if something doesn't really work you don't sweat about it you move on to the next bit. You move on absolutely absolutely and and it's also the other thing I would say is, is um, you know yeah, you as a performer, I think you always struggle with confidence. You know, it's yeah. always an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, and you know you can fake it sometimes, or or sometimes you just you can't fake it, and 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 it's not always there. But it's it's about like taking your time, and and you know, I so I I probably I take more time and 
try and sell everything a bit better. Yeah. And I used to, instead of rushing through it and okay, okay, just yeah. get this bit over and get on to this bit. And, <laughs> and I'll be off home before you know, they know you. Be off home <laughs> yeah. So it is about really enjoying it, treasuring it. Like, because it is a privilege. Yeah, it is. Really you know? is. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try and take inspiration. I'm going to try and <laughs> dig out that tennis book because I need to up my game a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> but I know exactly what you mean with the confidence thing. I, I suffer from that a hell of a lot. Mm. Even coming in here today, this is episode 29, I think 28 of the, the, the podcast. We've done them and I've enjoyed them all. But uh, for one reason or another, I was especially nervous about today because it was yourself, Ardell, and, oh. uh, and and the stature you have in my in my head oh, <laughs> and, in, and in the nation's head. Yeah. Um, and the fact that you're, I suppose, not a footballer. But you are a footballer, if you know what I mean. But you're not, you were never a professional a, footballer. So it's kind of going, how's this going to go today? And I hope I don't bore Ireland or ask them stupid questions. But so far, it's okay, is it? Yeah, you know, yeah. it's brilliant. You sure? Yeah. No, he's, he's no. jet lagged. He's still jet lagged. <laughs> <laughs> we have him where we want him. Um, not only that, uh, 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 you're obviously widely known as a, as a great actor uh, as a, and, and a comedian, but also an author as well. Uh, you brought out a novel there a good few years ago, which was which, which, which brilliant reviews, did so well for you, uh, Talk of the Town. Um, but I also read that when I went to America, it was called Nick Knack Paddywhack. Yeah. What the DDI was that all about? I have no idea. <laughs> uh, they just, just, so an American publisher picked it up, which, is, which was great mm-hmm. on the one hand, and then they just told me they're changing the name. <laughs> <laughs> we've read this and we've come up with a title yeah because I think the talk of the town had a different significance over there or whatever like so it's an expression the, t- the talk of the town yeah and uh, I suppose for my book it was like the character in it like eventually because of certain things that happened in the book he was the talk of the town so it's kind of like you know that but over there the talk of the town was uh, a, a very famous gossip column in the New Yorker magazine and that's what people uh, would okay. recognise it from. So they didn't want to go with that title. So then they just wanted a punchy title. And uh, around that around that time, like Roddy Doyle had a book, I remember Paddy Clark, Ha Ha Ha. Yes. And there was other books with kind of catchy little titles like that. So they used Nick Knack Paddywhack. <laughs> and you were like, yeah, whatever, as long as it sells. Well, yeah, it didn't sell. <laughs> okay. But, uh, <laughs> but, but you, like, you know, I mean, I was just chuffed that they picked up the book and that you know, a, a serious New York uh, American publisher picked it up and, you know, rated it enough to, to go with it. So, you know, I wasn't going to stand in the way. I thought, you know, you know the market over there. You know I, what you uh, do. I, I, did, uh, I, I don't do enough reading, uh, Ardell, but what I do is when I'm travelling around the country doing gigs, I listen to a lot of audiobooks. Okay. Um, and I went looking for your book on Audi, wherever, what's that, wherever it's called? Audible. Audible. And, uh, and I couldn't find it. What? I couldn't find it. Talk of the town. Because all the, when, I, when I did Talk of the Town, all that came up was about 11 different podcasts called Talk of the Town. Yeah. And, uh, it probably isn't. That I don't, there mightn't be an audio version of that. There is an audio version of my more recent novel, uh, Bruhaha. Right, well, that's, that's gone uh, straight that's, into, that's, the, into the Audible that's account. That's an Audible, so for sure. Left. Yeah, because yeah. um, I, I spent a week reading that. <laughs> So I know that that's there. <laughs> I definitely know that that's there. Uh, so that that that's what I love um, when I when I'm reading books by certain authors. I love hearing it in their voice mm. because you, 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 there's, there's, I know you form your own opinions and whatever, and you dream up your own landscapes and filmscapes and all that. But when you hear it from the author's voice, you know exactly kind of exactly what they meant. Yeah, you know, as opposed to trying to yeah, no, for sure. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. It's a really weird process, like reading your own book, because you know, like as a some uh, occasional actor, you know, you're you're you your temptation would be to really dramatise it and act out all the different parts and everything else. But you can't really do that with a book. You can kind of just subtly, you know, introduce some variation between the characters. But, you know, it's not a drama. It's still a book. Yeah. And 
You also, uh, in your acting career as well, Ardell, you did a lot of theatre. Yeah, a bit. No, not an awful oh, lot. Well, I mean, I was still blown away by the fact that you were in Dancing with Lunas. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, what was the, the the chaos one in the gay theatre? You did with Owen Rowe. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, God of Carnage. That's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, what, how did you find theatre, Ardell? Um, and, and, and the reason I'm asking that is because, like, obviously we're both comedians, we're both used to being on stage, but it's a completely different beast. Yeah, it's theater. very different. Isn't it? It's really different. I'm glad you're saying that. But I do think that, like, the stand-up uh, really steals your first, or, or, you know, you're, you know, you're well-armed as a stand-up comedian, I think, to do, to do theater. Uh, but it is very much teamwork, and it's about listening and, you know, tuning into other people's wavelengths and everything else. But it's a really amazing process. I've been lucky enough to do not that many plays in my life, four or five in total. Um, I did one the early part of this year in London, Dancing at Lunasa, and then 10 years, it was 10 years before that when I did the Weir Economic Person play in London. And they were both like incredible experiences. You know? And when you, when you say difficult, Ardell, what, what, what do you mean by that? Well, it's not, it's not some, like, I, I, don't, I don't think it's, like it's not any more difficult than any other medium I don't think it's just you know as a, when you're coming from a comedy background I think you're always people are always going to be slightly suspicious of you or they're going to think you know you're not a real actor so you've always got to overcome that I suppose perception uh, for a start and prove your metal kind of prove thing prove your metal absolutely yeah. so it's about really doing your homework being really really well prepared I think and then like the brilliant thing about theatre though is compared to TV or anything is you get loads of rehearsal time so you've got like six, maybe six weeks, seven weeks if you're lucky, to really go deep and yeah. find the rhythm and find your character and really understand what you're saying, you know. So you've got loads of time to really just do your research, thorough, thorough investigation, deep dive into the play, the character, the world, the themes, everything. Yeah. So it's a really brilliant collaborative experience and as a stand-up you know we spend far too much time on our own mm -hmm. we, do. Uh, we do and yeah. traveling on your own a lot yeah. of the time on stage on your own which is kind of can be a lonely place and then afterwards you know that you come down from your high pretty quickly yeah. <laughs> and you drive home again or whatever yeah. you know and you eat crisps yeah but uh and stop off at apple green and get yourself a grand <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> so you know to to actually do a play is 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 just magical, and you know, obviously, you have to be lucky enough that it's a good play, a good cast, and all the rest, and that it goes well. But I, I suppose the, the, I, I did a play um, before lockdown, uh, Ardell. Now it was the, the, it was the most challenging thing I've ever done because, to all intents and purposes, it became a one man play because it was with Dustin the Turkey. Oh, really? Yeah. So um, Owen Colfer, who yeah. wrote all those Artemis Fell books, yeah. yeah. He wrote this play about uh, it's about uh, Dustin's road to redemption. You know, he's be, he was like the pariah of Irish society after the Eurovision and all that kind of thing. So I played his best mate called Brady. Um, so essentially, it's me on stage, and there's a van on stage, half a van, and Dustin's sitting in the van. And but I'm on stage for the whole forty-five minutes, fifty minutes, and then there's a break, and then I'm on stage for the whole forty-five, fifty minutes of the second half. So it, it was the memory of the lions, whereas the guy. Now, I don't know if there's young kids out there listening to this podcast, but Dustin isn't real. And <laughs> and the guy who was operating Dustin, uh, Johnny Morrissey, an absolutely brilliant, brilliant man to work with, um, he was just reading the lines under the van. So I had that pressure. And I also felt the pressure because um, when we do our stand-up, uh, it's our writing. 
and you're like, ah, like her a lump it, you know? Yeah. Whereas when you're trying to remember someone else's lines, you're trying to give that the justice it deserves. Yeah, yeah. And I felt that pressure. Um, I'd be honest with you, it broke me. It nearly broke really? me in half. And we missed the first night of opening because I still didn't know all my lines. Wow. Yeah. And, wow. Uh, okay, look, I feel like, I feel like I'm on yeah, the well, no, well, well, so well, it was, I mean, it was, no, it was no, a chastening experience. No, absolutely. <laughs> but, like, I, the recent play I did, Dancing at Lunacy, like, it's a revered Irish play. Yeah. We're doing this for a London audience, so it's really special. We're all really passionate about it. And it's a big cast. There's eight of us in the cast, seven of them Irish. You know, so people are really passionate about this and you really want to do it justice. You know, the Friel family are going to be in watching it. And wow, there's a pressure. It yeah. is a big pressure and yeah. it's a massive pressure and we're doing it on this big stage in the National Theatre in London. Nice. And, you know, so it's big, big pressure all the time and, you know, you really want to honour every word. Uh, so, like, I start honestly, I start learning my lines about three months in advance. Wow, you see, that was the lesson I didn't learn. Yeah. I went into rehearsals learning the lines. But that's just me panicking and, like, thinking I'd... It's, I don't want it to be me that's going to let this idea. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so I'm going to come into that rehearsal room knowing this inside out. <laughs> so then you can start really enjoying it because, you, you, because you've got the bedrock of knowing the text inside out. And now it's finding the meaning and yeah. finding the, you know, the, the collaboration. Brilliant. Um, but before, like we, we could talk all day now about uh, acting and all that. And <laughs> I have lots to learn from this man. But this is a football podcast. Before we let you go, Ardle, um, uh, Leeds at the moment yes. under uh, uh, what's his name? Fark. Da- Daniel Fark. Uh, are you are you hankering for the Bielsa days? Well, <laughs> I mean, I I love the Bielsa days. I mean, it was just it was like something I'd never seen before. It just was, it, it was pure just entertainment, amazing, wasn't it? Pure entertainment, <laughs> just just chaos, yeah. and it was just it was pure joy uh, seeing them come in and light up light up the Premiership yeah, that first really season. Did. They really did. Mm. It was just. Fantasy football. It was just wonderful to watch. Um, but, you know, I think every Leeds fan, to a man or woman, by the end of that second season, they knew the writing was on the wall. They just knew. Like, everyone loves Bielsa, loves him dearly, but knew that it wasn't sustainable. Like, it just wasn't. The results were He wasn't shocking. a man for changing. Yeah, He wasn't going to bend. He wasn't going to change his ways. He had, he had, like, basically, he had flogged those poor players to death. You know, they had given him everything and there was nothing left in the tank. There was nothing there. (laughs) Other teams had found them out and, you know, a bit like Ireland, they were players playing way above their, you know, what you, individual level, amateurs like us would consider to be their level. You know what I mean? Uh, So, and they were given everything and they were, they were like incredible. So you couldn't fault them in any way, Uh, but it wasn't sustainable. And then, you know, then there was just some incredibly poor decisions made in, in terms of the people they brought in, the players they brought in, the manage, managers they brought in. Sam Allardyce. <laughs> yeah. Like, seriously. How did you feel? Uh, <laughs> he was a point. Just, I mean, you know, just just wanted to give up at that point. <laughs> and and Jesse Marsh as well. Like, you're just thinking, this is not the answer. And then him buying loads more American players, more Americans, yeah, that is yeah. not the solution. <laughs> you know? Uh, so... I mean, and this season has started, has been very strange because like it started off terribly yeah. and with discontent in the camp and terrible results going against us and then suddenly a string of really good results and now back to square one again. Yeah, the, this the defeat against Southampton there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Um, it's, I, I, do you think they got promoted? No. No? No, I don't think they will. Um, I think like they just about have 
a squad that's capable of getting promoted if everyone stays fit and if it gels. But it, it's not gelling yet. It's not quite there yet. Yeah, um, I suppose Leicester are the team that looked like the dominant team in that championship. Yeah, I think they kept yeah. most of the squad from last season as well. So they look like to be the, the yeah. team to beat. Uh, to be honest with you, I haven't seen much of it, like because I was away for the last few weeks, and um, uh, so I'm I'm not totally up to up to speed with who else is doing yeah. what in in the championship. Yeah. Um, okay, so um, the, so Bielsa now Bielsa now manager of Uruguay. What a concoction that is, Arnold. Yeah. When you think about his the sacking philosophy and what they're renowned for, which yeah. is defensive kicking lumps out of yeah. players, <laughs> and then attacking with all the flair and speed in the world, they will be box office. I can't wait yeah, to see yeah, Uruguay at the next be World great. Cup or the South American Championship. Um, okay, so uh, like all good podcasts, we have come to an end, Ardell. It's been an absolute pleasure talking oh, to you. Really? And thank Joy. you so much for, for coming in. And I know you've been jet lagged and and, uh, and listen, the best of luck with all your endeavours. And uh, I can't wait to see you on stage very, very soon. Thanks a million, Eric. Absolute pleasure. Cheers, Ardell. That has been episode 28 of House of Football. You know the story, lads. Like, subscribe, leave us a review on, uh, on iTunes. And if you're watching this on YouTube, Subscribe to us and join in the conversation. Leave a comment below. We'll see you all again very soon. Thank you. You've been listening to House of Football, brought to you by Sports Joe.